You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Good? Good? Yeah! Man, thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Micah. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, Pastor Nathan, the lead pastor. Uh, you know, it's not often that you, you know, you're here and I'm preaching, and so I feel like you're, you're kind of going to be critical and taking notes and everything like that. So uh, just, you know, go easy on me here. But, but no, we, we at Life Church, we have a really great, I think, way to bring the gospel. We, uh, we, it's always live preaching at all of our campuses, and, uh, and we're always going through the same passage of Scripture, and we, we, we're expository in our preaching. We just say we're going to open up a book of the Bible, and we're going to go from the beginning to the end of that book, and we're going to dive in in depth. Uh, what God is, is saying in, in, in his word. I don't know about you, but I've loved that as, as I've come here. This is the first church I've been a part of that's been expository in their preaching. And I've learned so much about God's word. Just, you know, and I, and I thought there was, you know, that's, I, I thought I knew a lot about God's word. And there's so much that I, I'm like, wow, how did I miss that? But when you really dive into the word verse by verse, it's, it unlocks so many mysteries of God that then uh, practically speaking, helps us live our lives the way that will honor God and uh, the way that will bring blessings and, and joy and, and, uh, and just fruitfulness. So we're going to do that again today. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 19, but let me pray for us and then we're going we're gonna to dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. Lord, we ask that in, in this time, Lord, you would open our hearts to receive from you. Give us ears to hear what you're, what you're speaking to us through the word. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that this word would then, would then uh, just exude and resonate out of our lives, Lord, to where the, the rest of the world would see it. When we walk uh, into the world um, Monday through Saturday, your word would just be, uh, just be coming out of us, this oozing out of us for people to know you more. Father, that is our goal. So help us to, uh, to, to receive from you today. Uh, soften our hearts. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right, so... 2 Samuel 19, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 15 today. So now if, if you're new here, just so you know, a little 2 Samuel recap. This is, it's, it's David's life is really what we've been studying. He's a shadow king, a picture of what's to come through Jesus Christ. He's a flawed man, but we're going to get a better David. We're going to get Jesus. But, but there's a shadow picture of who Jesus is that David is walking, walking through. And, and whether he knew it or not, the Lord used him to point us to Christ. The Lord said he's going to give him a house that never ends. To this day, we have the nation of Israel, the city of David, the star of David. And it's all because of God's hands. It's amazing when you study American history, world history, Israeli history, and ancient Israel history. It's, it, it just, it's amazing how God has, has, has uh, blended all of that together to get us where we are today. And he's never contradicted his own words. But David, as a young boy, he had many trials. His trials, whether it was uh, fighting Goliath whether it was running from Saul, whether it was um, you know, standing in the midst of a civil war to unite the nation after Saul had died. David's trials, in, in those moments, he was constantly going back to the Lord. He was saying, Lord, help me in this. Lord, I'm looking to you right now. I, I need you. If, you're, if I don't have you, then I'm, I'm done. And, and that led to David's triumphs. And, and I'm going to say right now, it just whatever you do, if you put the Lord first in, in what you're doing, you're going to be successful. You can't not be successful because everything God does is successful. Everything he touches prospers. Everything he breathes life onto produces fruit. So whether it's in your business, in your community, in your church, in your world, whatever it is, your family, put the Lord first. 
and it will be it will be blessed. And David learned that principle. He had great triumphs. And that's basically 2 Samuel 1 through 10. And then we see in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and it's that verse I've gone back to often. And it said, in the springtime, when the kings go out to war, David stayed home. David got complacent. He got lazy. He got, he got comfortable. There was a missionary that I was telling, someone was telling me the story uh, a couple days ago, and this missionary had come to the United States from a part of Africa where there's a lot of persecution going on right now. Christians are getting killed. They're getting beheaded. They're, 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 they're really, they're really um, coming after Christians in this man's home, home nation. And, uh, and someone asked him, he said, would, wouldn't, would you like to be a part of what's going on here in the United States? And without missing a beat, this guy said, oh, no. He said, I, I would much rather be where I'm at because in America— you guys don't even know that you need the Lord. He said, you've become so complacent through your wealth and your security and you're, and you're comfortable. He said, I'm glad I'm where I'm at because we just have to put up with people trying to kill us. You guys are being killed and you don't even know it. And it was like, whoa. But that's, that's 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. You get complacent. You sit back. You just say, all right, Lord, it's good. Let the good times roll. I don't really need you as much anymore. I'm, gonna, I'm going to say to you, that's a more dangerous place to be in than when you are literally fighting your, for your life through persecution, through bullets and bombs and, and swords coming at you. Don't let that complacency set in. David did, and it led to his sin with Bathsheba. It led to the death of Uriah, the murder of Uriah. And then now we've been, since chapters. 12 and on, we've been in David's troubles. That really sums it up. So we see here in 19, David's son, the Lord prophesied this through the prophet Nathan. He said, the, the, the chaos and the sword will never leave your house, David, because of what you've done. And, and I thought it was interesting. I went back a little bit. I was reading up on, on that when Nathan was speaking the words of the Lord to David. You know, the Lord said, he said David, if you just would have asked, I would have given you whatever you wanted. Why didn't you just ask me? If you wanted more wives, it was crazy because we know the Lord is, he's the God of one man, one wife. But even in that moment, the Lord was saying, David, I've given you concubines. I've given you wives. I've given you money. I've given you, I've given you nation, uh, a powerful nation. What, it, what more? Just come to me. If there's something that you're lacking, come to me and I will give it to you. And yet you had the audacity to take something that didn't belong to you and try to murder to cover it up. Now this is what's going to happen. Now you're going to have bloodshed in your house. The chaos will never leave your house. However, David repented of his sins. The Lord was merciful and didn't remove the kingdom from him like he did with King Saul. So God was still merciful in this. But now we see this is unfolding. This is coming to fruition just exactly the way the prophet Nathan prophesied. David's house is totally in chaos, and he has a son named Absalom. Absalom is, is rebellious. He's led a coup to take over the kingdom. He thought he could be a better king than David. And to be honest with you, in probably some areas, he would have been a better king than David. But it wasn't his kingdom. Now, rebellion, rebellion we kind of celebrate rebellion sometimes in America. We, we have the Star Wars trilogy, you know, the rebellion, you know, all that for, you, for all you Star Wars nerds. Not Lord of the Rings nerds, okay? I just want to make you, I want, to, want you to know, I talk about Lord of the Rings a lot, and I kind of blame Nathan for being a Lord of the Rings kind of nerd, but, you know, there's a whole other group of nerds in Star Wars. I don't know where I fall. I'm kind of in the middle. I like both. So uh, I'm, really, I'm really nerdy on that. But the, the Star Wars, you know, we celebrate the rebellion like this. Like, those are the good guys. In 1776, in American history, we had a rebellion. We had a revolution, and we celebrate that. 
I'm wearing my Gadsden pin today, the don't tread on me uh, the flag, right? And that was the symbol of the rebellion. Why was that rebellion okay and, and Absalom's rebellion not okay? Because one of them was rebelling against God, the other one was not. In 1776, the rebellion was against a man, King George, who was rebelling against God. But keep in mind, when the world says, we should unite, we should just, oh, shouldn't we, we don't, don't rebel against the world's ways, just unify. Let's just unify. People say this to me a lot because they're like, Micah, you're really div- divisive. You're, you, you bring a divisiveness, and, and, and that's just terrible. And we need to unify. I always, I always ask them, I say, well, what are we unifying around? Like, what are the terms of your, your contract here? And they don't usually have a good answer. Remember, Germany was very unified in 1939. They were unified around a wicked man. His name was Adolf Hitler, around, and it was a wicked ideology. They were unified. The church was unified with Adolf Hitler even in Germany, too. Read the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was one of the bold pastors that stood up and said, this is not right. And we're going to rebel against the ways of the world because we want to be on the side of God. So who are you rebelling against? If you're rebelling against the ways of the world, you're, you're going down a good path. But the moment you step across the line, you begin to rebel against the ways of God. That's when it's going to be, destruct- it's going to be destruction and disaster upon your house. And that's what Absalom did. So I just want to lay out the two different types of rebellions. Sometimes you'll hear people celebrate rebellion. Ask them, well, what, what, what are the terms of the contract? Who are, rebel- who are we rebelling against? So, so here we have Absalom. He's dead. He rebelled against God. Now Joab, the commander of David's army, let's pick it up in verse 1. He says that, he's told this. Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Now remember, Joab is a, is, a, is a warrior. He's a soldier. and He's got two brothers, Abishai and Ittai, and they led the charge against Absalom's armies. And many of their men died too. So there's been a lot of grief. But here we have David is, is sorrowful. He's, he's been crippled actually by his grief for Absalom. And today in this message, it's all about how to walk through sorrow but not neglect your responsibility in so doing. David is going down a dangerous dangerous path here where he's about ready to say, I'm going to give it all away, all the responsibility, the call that God has on my life. I'm willing to sacrifice it all because I'm so sorry. I'm so sorrowful. I'm I'm grieving. I'm weeping. I'm mourning. It's so heavy. I, I just want to lay down and die. That's where David's at. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. They crept back into the town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted in battle. This is a principle of leadership. The spirit of the leader will always bleed into the spirit of the people that you're leading. Pastor Kathy in, up in... Um, Pendleton last week brought up a principle about grieving that the Lord had laid out in the Old Testament that the the sons of Aaron, the priests, were not allowed to grieve openly and in public. They could whimper quietly to themselves. They could sigh quietly to themselves, but they had to keep it together. The spirit of the leader will always bleed into the people. Now, are you a leader? That's the question. Are you a leader? And I'm going to say right now, everybody sitting in this room is leading in some capacity. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a business leader, whether you're a community leader, a church leader, even even children, you have opportunities to lead. So everyone say, I am a leader. I'm a leader. Okay, good. So this is a principle that you need to learn. You've got to learn how to not neglect your responsibility. Great example in American history. In 19, I believe it was uh, 1981, in a hotel in Washington, D.C., the newly elected president, Ronald Reagan, 
was walking into a, a convention. I was actually at this hotel uh, about a year ago. I was staying there. I got to see the exact spot all this happened. He was waving to the people. And you remember John Hinckley Jr. Jr. pulled out a gun and tried to, tried to assassinate Pre then President Lincoln. Chaos ensued. They shoved him into the limbo. limo. They get him to the hospital. You remember what happened when he got out of the hospital? If you were alive, or you remember the, the, the video clips? Ronald Reagan gets out of the limo after being shot. He turns to the camera and he waves to the camera as he's walking in. And then he gets into the privacy of the hospital and he collapses on the floor. Why did he do that? Why was he like, oh, I'm shot, I'm shot, everyone look at me. He knew that the people needed to see their leader strong. He didn't have the luxury of grieving the way that maybe you and I would if that happened to us. He said, I have to keep it together for the people. David is not doing this. David has gone the other way. He said, I don't even care about the people at this point. And Joab, it's ticking him off. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David is experiencing something we're all going to go through. This is clash between private grief and your public duty. If you haven't experienced it already, it, life is hard. This will be something that we all experience. What do you do when sorrow falls upon your house? You know, you hear this often when we've, we've had people, we've had some tragic Tragic things happen in our church, in the history of our church. You know, I think of a, a family that lost a father. And, you know, you go to the mother and she's just, she's brokenhearted. And yet, she says, in that moment, she says, I have to be strong. Why? For my kids. She recognized there is a call to public duty, to service. And your grief doesn't trump that. And we have to remember that as leaders. People are always going to look to us. And I you know, there's a lot of crazy things getting ready to happen in 2024. I know Nathan and I, we both have said from this platform, 2024 is going to be a chaotic year in America. You're already seeing it. You thought 2020 was crazy? Just get ready. I think 2024 is going to be a crazy year. But that's not to scare you. That's just to say, say, hey, we know who we're standing on. We know the rock of our salvation. We can be the ones to say, hey, look at, look at what God is doing here, world. Take heart, don't be afraid, but it's going to take leadership. If we find ourselves giving in to that private grief, if we find ourselves going down that path, the world's going to be, they're going to be leaderless, or they're going to follow the leaders that they shouldn't be following. But David is experiencing this clash right now. Your feelings, we talked about this last week, your feelings will always lie to you. The Bible said the heart is deceptive and, and desperately wicked. Who can even know it? Don't, don't buy into your feelings. Your, your feelings lie. And so your feelings in, in the midst of grief, grief are going to say, selfishly, you should pull back. I'm going to go just lay down and die. I'm done. I give up. But your responsibilities in Christ call you to press forward. And we're going to see this in the perfect example of Christ Jesus here in just a second. But I wanted to show you the imperfect example of David first. Then Joab comes to David. He says, he went to the king's room and he said to him, we saved your life today. And the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, your concubines, yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves? You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today your to you, that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us died, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate your troops, dang it. That's, that's Micah's uh, translation, all right? Just, you can hear the frustration, right? For I swear by the Lord that if, I, if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight, then you will be worse off than ever before. Okay, he's, 
He's not happy. You can get that frustration. Why? Because David is basically telling everyone through nonverbal communication that he cared more about the, re- the rebel, the rebellious, wicked son, than all of those who were loyal to David throughout the years. Remember, David's men suffered a big loss too to Absalom's men. There are other families, other, other children, other wives that don't have fathers and husbands and sons because they were fighting on the Lord's side to protect and defend David. And here David, you know, this is, um, uh, some, okay, I'm going to hit this truth here real quick and then I'm going to go down this tangent rabbit trail that I'm about ready to go down. So uh, sometimes God can guide you through something that was not well said, but it was the truth anyway. Now, I get this a lot. Like, people will say, well, Micah, it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? Okay, and listen, I'm not perfect. Like, could Joab say it better? Yeah, probably. He was probably bordering the line of insubordination, to be honest with you. But it was kind of the exact truth that David needed to hear in that moment. And I wanted to, I wanted to find some clips uh, to put them together uh, that, like, where people are shaking someone and say, get it together, man! Like, snap out of it! And they slap you across the face, right? And, uh, and so I found one. And uh, it's, from a, it's from an old classic movie called Airplane. <laughs> I can't play it today, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, okay, and I want everybody to know that I spent about 15 minutes on it. I, I like, you know, if you know that clip, it's this lady freaking out on the plane. And I put, like, David over her face, right? Like, so it's like, this is David. And then here comes Joab shaking her. Slap out of it. And then here comes Abishai. Slap out of it. And then here comes Ittai. Slap out of it. And then all the people of Israel are getting ready to, you know. Okay, so you know the clip. I want everybody in this room to know who's, who always says, Micah has no filter. Micah has no filter. Today is the day you saw my filter, okay? <laughs> don't you ever tell me I don't have a filter. Also, I did post it on my Instagram. So if you want to go there, you can see it there. <laughs> I was like, man, I spent 15 minutes on this. Somebody has to see it. I sent it to Rob Kendall, and he was like, show it, show it, show it all day long. And I talked to my wife. She says, you do that, I'll kill you, just so you know. <laughs> so, so the wisdom in me said, I don't, I'd like to live. So, um, all right, so, so there you go. But, yeah, all right, all that to say, sometimes it's, it's you got, you got to be careful how you say things. And I, and I get that. Like, that's an area where I need to work on. I feel like God is he's slowly, you know, teaching me how to do that. But it was the truth anyway. Put yourself in David's shoes. David could have easily said, like, how dare you speak to the king like that? I'm going to grieve exactly how I want. You have no right to tell the king, your king, what to do. David, for all of his faults, did have humility, And he did receive it because we see here in the next verse, it says this, so the king went out and took his seat at the town gate. And as the news spread throughout the town that he was there, everyone went to to him. Meanwhile, the Israelites who had supported Absalom fled to their homes. So David was wise enough to receive the counsel of, of Joab. Now, he didn't go out and speak like Joab said. Joab said, go out to the gate and tell your men something. David didn't do that, but at least he went out. And, and, and I, think, I think David... Again, for all of his strengths or his weaknesses, he was humble enough to receive criticism. And I think it was always because he knew, he knew where he stood in, in, in the picture of God in him. When you understand God and who he is and you understand who you are, it doesn't matter if you're king of the world. You will still walk in humility because there is no one like our God. Who are you when God is in the picture? You're, you're nothing, right? 
It doesn't matter. You could have the, I mean, I don't care if you're the most popular, like, rock star of the world. You have nothing on this amazing, majestic, awesome God. And if you, if you understand your identity in him, then you will walk in humility and actually probably make good life choices. Why do you think there's an identity crisis in America right now? Because if people don't know who they are in God, in, in, in the spiritual realm, they're never going to know who they are in the natural realm, and they're never going to make good choices. The devil knows if he can screw up and confuse your identity, then you're not going to make wise, sound choices. But here we see David, in the middle of being, being sorrowful, was able to make a wise choice. And I really think it comes back to David ultimately knowing who he was in God. It wasn't perfect by any means, but he did get it right at times. This kind of led me to maybe three major steps that we can take, because you're going you're gonna to come into a place where you're going to feel overwhelmed. It's, again, the Lord said, he said, uh, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So you're going to see the storms of life start crashing down. Though a thousand may fall at our side, ten thousand at my right hand, it will not come near us, though, is what Psalm 91 says. I think right now in 2024, church, we need to be praying that prayer. That should be our prayer for 2024. A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me and my family in the name of Jesus. So when you begin to get overwhelmed, though, and sorrow does hit, resist the impulse to isolate. That's the first thing. David wanted to isolate. Joab shook him out of it, said, don't you dare isolate. You need to get, in, you need to get with people. That's why church is so important. You know what we do here on Sunday mornings? There's only this much of church. Church is a family. It's a community. It's doing life together. This is just, hey, we're, the believers are coming together. We're celebrating our God. We're diving into the word, world, word, and then we go out into the world and take the truth Monday through Saturday. We at Life Church, we love it when unbelievers come into, the, into this building. If you don't know the Lord, you're welcome here. But we're not going to water down things in this, in this service to fit the, the, the unbeliever's uh, lack of, of knowledge yet on this, on this topic. We want the believers to be so filled up, fired up, and guess what's going to happen? The Lord's going to draw people unto himself. And people are going to say, man, that body over at Life Church, that community, what is it that they have? I want that. I don't even know what it is. But I want it. They're joy-filled. They're walking in power. We just had a lady get healed last week. She was, she was going to go in for a scope. And uh, they did all this blood work, and it was going to be a pretty invasive procedure. She didn't have the insurance to cover it. Someone prayed over her Sunday morning. She felt differently. She went back Monday. She said, doctor, I'd like to have, a, I'd like to have a, the blood work redone. The doctor said, we already did it last week. It's, nothing's going to change. She said, yeah, can we just do it, though? They did it. Her blood work came back totally fine. She doesn't need the scope. And that's right here. That's right here in our, in our community. I mean, that's the God we serve. So the unbelievers are going to be just fine. They're going to come in here and be like, I don't know what that is, but I want it, right? So we don't water down the truth. We don't water down the message. We say we need to know, we need to know how, how we need to be on fire. We need to be so on fire. But that's going to take community. Don't isolate in time of grief. Proverbs says this, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. Some translations say seek his own destruction. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. It's not wise to be by yourself. Second point, value the people who love you. David is valuing those who hate him and, and kind of neglecting those who love him. See those that God has brought into your path. And sometimes they might give hard wisdom. Pastor Nathan says this a lot. I love this verse. It says, the faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 6. 
if you have real friends, real brothers and sisters in Christ, they're going to probably say things at times that are going to hurt to hear. And, and, that, and if they're not ever saying things that hurt, are they really your friends? Because Proverbs say they're probably not friends. And even worse, they could be your enemy. But here we have Joab coming to David, shaking him. It hurt. I'm sure it hurt David. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this guy got David back on the right, the right course. Number three, view responsibility as your friend. Responsibility in the midst of chaos is going to give you a, a firm direction in where to go. Don't neglect your responsibility. David was about ready to, but because he was surrounded by men who were mighty and willing to say the hard thing to the king. I mean, think about that. Think about that just for a second. In almost every culture in that day surrounding the nation of Israel, no one would ever dare to go in to the, the, the throne room and speak to the king with that firmness. They would have never done it. They knew that it would probably end poorly for them. But here Joab comes in and says, David, knock it off, man. And I think it's, that's a good principle. Because even though there's leadership hierarchies in the kingdom of God, no leader should ever be above correction. I mean, that's, you guys have every right to come to me or to Pastor Nathan or to anyone and say, hey, I think you stepped out of line here. Let me show you where. And we get that quite a bit, actually. So. <laughs> and, and we love that because then we say, go to the Word. Show us. If we stepped out of the line, we want to receive it and we'll change. If we think we're perfect, then, then you've got bad leaders. We want people to be able to correct us. And Joab did it. Now, you know, we ask that, you know, okay, don't slap us in the face a few times. You know, like, you know, like just maybe be a little bit more sensitive. But because um, Nathan, you know, he, he gets his feelings get hurt a lot. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love it, man. We, we, you should listen to our podcast, Jesus, Sex, and Politics. We go back and forth like this a lot. If you just want, like, man, these guys are like brothers, seriously. Brothers from another mother. Uh, but, but responsibility helps, helps to guide you in, in that. In your People can call you to that responsibility. Hey, remember, you're, you're, you're this leader. God has placed you here. You're stepping out of line. And for the sake of the cause and for the sake of the kingdom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some correction. That's a really healthy thing. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. We see Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus is a man of sorrows is what Scripture says. He was, he was carrying a burden that wasn't even, didn't even come close to the burden that you or I carry or that, that David was going through. He was carrying a burden that we will probably never understand the depth of that burden. He says this in Matthew, Matthew 26. He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. This was in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was given over to be crucified. And it wasn't the crucifixion that I think was actually tormenting and crushing Christ in that moment. It was the fact that the word of God that had been God, unified with the Trinity, for, for I mean, beyond the, the, the amount of time that exists, he was about ready to be separated from that Trinity. Spiritually speaking, the burden was crushing him. Stay here and keep watch with me, he told his disciples. And for their sake, though, this is how he did it. This is, his, this is his prayer. This is the high priestly prayer. When he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, Lord, take this cup from me. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes on and he says this, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He was thinking of you and me. He was like, I see. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, Images of you and I were running through his mind, I promise you. And he's being separated in that moment from the Trinity. 
The burden is crushing him. And he's thinking, Micah Beckwith in 2024 needs this. He's thinking, Nathan Peter now. When, when were you born? 20, 1950? When, when was your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I do that? That was a really good moment. Like, it was like, oh, yeah, and then I have to go and ruin it. So, uh, <laughs> I was 77. Okay, okay. So, you're, you're not that much older than me. All right. So, uh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. You're not ever here when I'm, when I'm preaching. I, this is just too good. All right. I am sorry. That was a rabbit trail. I do this, guys. I'm sorry. This is kind of what happens. Like, okay. But, but Jesus was hanging on the cross. He said, I consecrate myself for their sake that they may be sanctified. In truth, he moved beyond his own pain and gave himself to the service of others. David was living in his pain, and he was about ready to give up his service to others. Jesus, the better David, the better king, Moved beyond that and said, you know, for, the, for those people that I envision in my mind right now that need this, I will do what God is calling me to do. In the Old Testament, we see a king who was overcome with grief so, so much to the point he couldn't serve. But in the New Testament, we see a king who came not to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2.7 said, he took on the form of a servant, humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Matthew 20, 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How did Jesus do this? How is it possible? Because he was fully God. Please hear me. He was always God. He was the Word made flesh, but he was also fully man. How is it? And he, was, he said, do as I do. So if Jesus could do this, we can do it too. I know a lot of people say, well, man, Jesus is God. I can't really do what he did. Jesus said you're going to do even greater things than I've done. That's what he said. Those are his words, not mine. If he wouldn't have said that, and then I did say that, do you know what would happen? That would be considered blasphemy. But Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, said that. How is it that we can walk in the same way that Jesus walked? And it's, and it's pretty easy, actually, in the sense of, like, the key. The key is this. Have an eternal perspective. Have an eternal perspective. If you start to see the, light, the, the storms of this world and, and all you have is this world, it's going to be very hard to walk in joy through the sorrow and the grief. It's going to be very hard to walk in your responsibilities when, when the storms of the world come crashing in over you. But if you know what is to come, that changes everything. I've said it before from this platform. Think about this. I want everyone to stop and just think this for a second. Where will you be in 100 years from now? It's not that long. Where will you be in 100 years from now? Now, there are, some, there are some young people in the room. You might still be alive. Maybe. Maybe, right? But most of us will not be physically in our, in our earthly bodies at that point. But you're going to be somewhere. 100 years. Think about what's happened in the last 100 years. What is it, 2024? 1924? It's not that long ago. My grandpa was born before 1924. Like this is, a hundred years from now, where will you be? And so many people, when I ask them that question on the streets or, you know, in the world of politics, when I'm, when I'm having political conversations, but steering it back to what does God's word say, and I can tell you they have not thought past this life, I will stop them and I'll say, so where are you going to be in 200 years from now? Like, what are you going to be thinking in 200 years from now? And it, it stops them in their tracks every time. And, and they'll say, I, I don't know, I mean, I'll be dead. I don't know. I've never thought about that. That's the problem. You've never thought about that. When you begin to realize there's something after this life right here, and it's either going to be awesome or it's going to be terrible. And, and the question is, is the, the, the only thing you need to know is what, who is Jesus to you? I love the story of the thief on the cross. 
He had never gone to a Bible study. He had never taken communion. He wasn't in a life group, although we have some great life groups, like plug for the life groups. He was hanging on the cross. He was a thief that should have been up there. And he said, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And the, Jesus said in that moment, today you will be with me in paradise. You're going to meet that guy someday if you believe in Christ. Isn't it going to be fun to talk to him about his story? Like you, A few short minutes later, you took your last breath. And you were ushered in to an eternal paradise. What an amazing story. He did, you know, I, I've seen this, uh, this, this story you know, on Instagram. It's really good. It's a, it's a pastor from England. He tells it really, really well. But he kind of goes through it. He's like, can you imagine like the angels, what they thought when the thief on the right came to the gates of heaven? He's kind of like, um, the angel looks at him. He's like, why, why are you, who are you? Why are you here? Right? Like, who, like. And the thief on the right had to be like, I, I don't know. I, I was, I'm not sure why I'm here. And the, the, the angel gets his supervisor angel. It's like, hold on a second. Gets his supervisor angel, comes out, and he says, he says um, okay, tell me your understanding of the doctrine of justification through faith in Christ Jesus. And the, the, the thief on the right has to be like, I don't know. I don't know any of that. Were you ever in a Bible study? No. Did you know the scriptures? No. Did you ever take communion? No. On whose authority are you here? And the thief on the right, in that moment, would have said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Amen. It's like, whoa! Isn't that awesome? The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's the whole point. When you have that eternal perspective, you know the man on the middle cross, and you're excited about what's to come. Yeah. Some bright morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. When you have that eternal perspective, you can walk through grief and sorrow and not forsake your responsibilities. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we do this, we, we handle the suffering and the, the pain of this earth. We, this is how we do it, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So Jesus had his eye set on what's to come. He said, this is going to be terrible what I'm about ready to walk through, but I know what's coming. The lion of the tribe of Judah walked through hell and back for you because he knew what would come after that. Because he loved you that much. That's the, that's, that to me is just the embodiment of this first part of, this, of the story. Now David is sitting in his responsibility at the gate. Now you have the issue of the return of the king. Now we're going to see here in these last couple of verses here that just how, how the Israel now receives this. Because remember, there's a civil war. They're, they're, they're fractured. You have Israel, part of Israel saying, we fought with David, we're good. We got the God's anointed back on the throne. But now the other part of Israel, and actually Judah, David's hometown, has rebelled with, Abs with Absalom. And now they're thinking, what do we do? Here, here's what happened. All throughout the tribes of Israel, there was much discussion and argument going on. People were saying, the king rescued us from our enemies and saved us from, our, from the Philistines, but Absalom chased him out of the country. Now, Absalom, our leader, whom we anointed to rule over us, is dead. What do we do? Well, why don't, I guess why don't we ask David to come back and be our king again? Uh, I don't know how he's going to take that, guys. <laughs> right? Uh, and, and again, remember all the cultures around that time. This would not have gone well for the people who rebelled. It would be a drastic killing field a big-time killing field for all of those who rebelled with Absalom, if it was any other culture. And so they're starting to ask these, these questions. 
And when power shifts like this, there's always going to be chaos that ensues. I see this all the time in the world of politics, and it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. People are not your friend until the moment you walk into power. And then it's like people who you knew hated you yesterday, but now the election happened. They're calling you up. Hey, man, how are you? Oh, oh, I've always been with you. I really have. I just couldn't really be with you because you know how it works, right? But I love you. I think you're great, right? People do this. This is, and you, you've seen it in business. You know, a new business owner comes in. Oh, I hate that, I hate that guy. I hate that, that gal. And then they, they take over. They're in power. It's like, I'm going to see if I can get close to that guy, that gal, right? Like, I want to I I pad my my life with insurance. But power struggles will, will produce chaos, and that's what's going on here in, in chapter 9, or verse 9 and 10. So David knows this. He sees this. And again, this is, this is going to lead into a little bit of David's strengths here. And he says to Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, he says to the elders of Judah, why are the last ones to welcome me back uh, why are you the last ones to welcome back the king to, into his palace? For I've heard that all of Israel is ready. So David's going to do three things. He's going to appeal to three different aspects of the people of Judah's hearts. The first part he's going to appeal to is their pride. You've got to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves, the, the scriptures say. Sometimes it's okay to appeal to somebody's pride and their ambitions. This happens all the time. Hey, I, I, I know you really probably don't know the Lord, but I also know what makes you tick. And if I can appeal to that thing to help you go down a path that's God-honoring, I'm going to do it. Some people say, well, it's not genuine. No, it's appealing to the, to the nature, to human nature, in a way that actually is shrewd. Snakes know how to, to survive because they're very shrewd. But bring innocence. Point people back to Christ. Point people back to, the, to, the, to faith in Christ Jesus. Then David says this, he says, you are my relatives, my own tribe, my own flesh and blood, so why are you the last ones again to welcome me back? So he's appealing to their relationship. Hey, we're brothers and sisters. I'm from Judah. You guys know me. I'm that little shepherd boy that saved your butts back when I took out Goliath. Remember that, you know? Like, like that, was, that was me. We're brothers and sisters here. He, he appeals to the relationship that he, 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 had, he had ton invested into the people of Judah I mean, he had, he, had a credit, he had credit with them. And then he says this in verse 13. David told them all. He, he, then David told them to tell Amasa, since you are my own flesh and blood, like Joab, may God strike me and even kill me if I do not appoint you as commander of my army in his place. Now, this was, this was Absalom's top guy. This was one of Absalom's chief. And as a sign of good faith, not only will I not kill you, I'm going to actually appoint one of your commanders to be in, my, in, in a, pow, a place of power as well. And so he's appealing to their anxieties, to their fears, because many of them thought that they probably would, would end, this would end with their death now. Now David, for all of his faults, for all of his many mistakes, I would say one of his greatest strengths was his ability to forgive. Think about Saul. Think about how unjust Saul was to David. And yet David was always saying, he's God's anointed. He doesn't know what he's doing. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to continue to try to work with him. And I'm not going to be the one to take him out. And here we have David again saying to the people of Judah, when probably he would have been probably uh, within his righteousness as a king or justice as a king to go in and, and, and bring the hammer down on these guys. But he says, I'll forgive you. Let's just get together. It brought me back to the story of Joseph. In Genesis 45, we see, we see this amazing story where Joseph was sold the, the love and joy of his, of his father, Jacob. He had this, he had this amazing 
uh, story where, you know, uh, his father gave him this coat of many colors. And the, his brothers became jealous. And now we see, we see Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers as a young boy. He goes to Egypt, works for Potiphar, is falsely accused and imprisoned, thrown into prison for 14 years. And then miraculously is pulled out and placed as second in command in Pharaoh's world empire. And now there's a famine going on, and the Lord used Joseph to prepare the food so that people wouldn't die during the famine. And here come Joseph's brothers back at it. And Joseph says to his brothers, please come closer. Stay. So they came closer, and he said to him again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be afraid and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Guys, God's hand was in this. That's how you're able to walk in forgiveness. When you see God's hand in your life, it's, it's easy to forgive. It's not, it's not simple, or it's, it's not always like the, the easiest thing to do, but it, it makes it a lot easier. But, but forgiveness first has to, has to hit you in a way that you know who God is and you know who you are. And I think David never lost that. David never lost the fear of the Lord. He, didn't, he forgot it a couple times, but he never lost it. And when you know what God has done for you, and you realize what has been given on your behalf, you can say to somebody who has wronged you in ways that are so evil, so wicked, so vile, you can say, you know what? I can forgive. Because I'm, I am that to God. I am that rebel. I am that wickedness in God's eyes. And what did he do? He forgave me while I was still a rebel. This whole story, it's easy to put ourselves in the in the shoes of David. It's easy to put our sh- shoes in the, ourselves in the shoes of Joab. But that's not who we are. We're actually the Absalom of the story. We're the one who rebelled against God. We're the one who said, Lord, I'm going to thumb my nose to you. And what should happen is we all need to die for our rebellion. Just like Absalom died. In this story, the, the king's son died in order for Israel to, believe, to be delivered. In our story... The king's son also died in order for us to be delivered because we were Absalom. And when you understand how God has loved you, it's forgiveness comes because you can now forgive because you know what you've done to the Lord. Romans says this in chapter 5, verse 8, says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. We see... We see this shadow picture of Jesus Christ through the life of David. David was flawed, imperfect, but he was a shadow of the perfect King of Kings coming to set us all free, to rescue us in our rebellion. Someone was talking to me the other day about blood being required for sin. And they said, oh man, I'm just glad we don't have to give blood for sin anymore. I said, well, we we still do actually. That hasn't changed. What has changed is it went from being our blood on the line for sin or the blood of a placeholder like an animal to now the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And every time, that blood, every day that blood is washing you white as snow. When you know Jesus Christ, that blood comes in, washes you white as snow. In the eyes of a holy God, you can stand perfectly spotless in his presence now. What an amazing story. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, I'm telling you, he's thinking that for the joy that set 
that is set before him, he endured the cross. The joy knowing that he's going to set you and he's going to set me free and that we're going to be with him for all of eternity. 200 years from now, we get to celebrate. 500 years from now, we get to celebrate. 10,000 years from now, we still get to celebrate because our awesome God has done what needed to happen so we could have freedom forever. That's, that's the story. That's what this whole story of David and Absalom and Joab and Abishai and all these people, it should point us back to God's amazing redemptive love for us when we rebel. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And just, just in a moment, just in your own words, just say, Lord, thank you for setting me free. Thank you for setting me free. Washing me with the blood. If there's anybody in this room that's never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you would too like to be set free and washed with the blood, I want to give you a chance just to, to do that right now. Just raise your hand if, if that's you. And I'm going to pray a prayer with you. you don't, so I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I'd like to pray a prayer with you, and you can just repeat it silently in your heart, knowing that the Lord has heard you. Is there anybody here? I don't want to gloss over this, because you've got to first accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be covered with the blood, washed free, to step from Absalom's line into the line of Christ. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.